I'm here at USC. Disgusting, right? Back here, they have free lift for free. We need to have the same thing at UCLA. No, we need to disband USAC, first of all, and give students their $270 back. I mean, what does USAC even do? They just sit in meetings and they just go in circles and just never even achieve anything. Guys, guys, the election is over. You know that, right? What? And we're talking about the results. Hi, everyone. My name's Liberty Feliciano, and I'm a senior staffer here at The Daily Bruin. I'm here with a lovely panel of other editors. So do you guys want to introduce yourself? Starting with our lovely candidates. Uh, yeah, I'm not actually a USAC candidate. Uh, I'm Keshav Tadamedi, The Daily Bruin's opinion editor. I'm Abhishek Shetty. I'm one of the assistant opinion editors. Hi, I'm Annie Kim. I'm the campus politics news editor. I'm the news editor. Great. Um, so we're going to go ahead and just get started by looking at the results. Rupon and Annie are going to walk us through who won the election yesterday. All right. So we had a whopping 39 candidates running in this year's election. And starting from the president, so we had Clara Phelan from Bruins United win the presidency. Robert Blake Watson, independent, uh, winning interim vice president. Independent Jamie Kenner for external vice president. For general representatives, for general rep one, we had independent Aisha Halim. Uh, Bruins United candidate Bella Martin for Gender Up 2, and independent candidate Edward Solo for Gender Up 3. For Active Affairs Commissioner, we had Florida People candidate Nidira Stevens. For Campus Events Commissioner, and that was unopposed, Ali Madison, for, uh, who's an independent one. CSC also unopposed, Bethany Atino Quesanola, independent. For Culture Affairs Commissioner, uh, Serena Kasavne, who was a Florida People candidate, also running unopposed. Facilities Commissioner, Julia Hogan Zoss, independent, won the position. FSC, which had three candidates running, Jay Manzano, independent, won the position. And SWC, as usual, unopposed, George Lewis Four, an independent candidate. And TSR, another race with three candidates, a Bruins United candidate, Jessica Kim, won. As for the international student representative uh, referendum, um, it passed with an 81% percentage. Since you were reporting on the scene yesterday, was there anything outstanding about candidates' reactions or the crowd's reactions? One thing I saw yesterday that was pretty interesting, they did, they did like a unity circle like at the end where all the slates were united for the people and the independents. Um, I didn't say in the lip people, but most of the slates were there in this big circle. I think someone from, I think Samo Hong Filipino gave like a little speech. And it was, I never really seen anything like that before. I've seen Unity Circus before, but I've never seen Bruce United be a part of Unity Circus. That was pretty different than usual. I think what's also pretty interesting in this year's election were the number of slates. Um, we saw a couple of new slates. So Bruins United was the, I want to say, veteran slate that showed up. Um, we didn't see any previous slates from before. What we did see were two new slates, Leaders Influencing Tomorrow, and then for the people, leaders in forensic tomorrow won no other seats on the council table, but for the people won two out of three that of the candidates that they will put forth. I guess you forgot candidates operating clearly, which I don't know if it was a satire slate or not, but yeah, that was there too. Oh, right. I did forget about that. Andrew Sokler, um, he uh, was running for general position and was a one-man slate, and the one-man slate had a 100% loss rate. Is it fair to say Sokler and Cock are forgettable? <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll be talking about this a bit later, but uh, Sokler did advocate for things like a transparent door um, on his general rep office, which I'm actually a fan of because I like you don't have to knock on the doors to enter anymore. They can see you walk in. Um, he was also advocating for like fixing bathrooms at UCLA and creating a scooter lane. Like all these are very fun things. 
I just don't know if his disposition matched this, like, the seriousness of his ideas. Well, let's talk about some of the big races. Um, first of all, president, there were eight candidates this year. That's a huge number. Any thoughts about how the runoff worked for that? This is instant runoff vote method. So basically, so first off, voters rank their preferences from like one to eight of the candidates. And then first, first preference votes get allocated and then the person with the least votes get eliminated and then their votes get reallocated to the remaining cal- candidates. And that goes on and on until you have two people remaining and the person with more votes then wins. So here it's interesting to note the last five people, that four people that made it, which was Claire Fieldman, Ashraf Beshai, and Budai, and Kosi Agbali. In that, Ashraf Beshai was the person to get eliminated in that round, and his votes ended up getting reallocated. And then it was Claire Fieldman with 2,041 votes, and Budai with 1,650 votes nearly, and Kosi with 1,775 votes. And from there... And but I got eliminated and the votes end up getting redistributed with Claire Fieldman getting 2,600 votes to Kosi with um, 2,280 votes, which is pretty comfortable win for her. Just to clarify, what do you mean by reallocating of votes? Just so that we can simplify to the listeners. So basically, let's say the person you put as first reference ended up getting eliminated. So now yes, the person you voted for as second reference, that person gets one vote from you instead and that... That's how it works, basically. So what you're saying is when a candidate is eliminated from these runoff rounds, um, and as far as I understand, there were seven rounds for president, um, once they do get eliminated, uh, each voter who voted for the candidate who was eliminated, their, that voter's second preference or third preference or so on will get reallocated to the other um, candidates. Um, so by that regard, that's where you see, um, as Abhishek said, like people's vote counts are increasing, even though their first preference votes were in like the 1700s or 1000s range or jumping up to 2000s for their votes. Well, sir, since there is this system of redistributing votes after candidates are eliminated, do you think the fact that there were eight candidates really had any bearing um, since like those with the lowest number of votes ultimately had their votes go towards someone else? I honestly don't think it made a difference because Claire Fieldman got 1,740 first preference votes and then... And Budai got 1,058 first reference votes. And you can see that probably Kerr Fieldman would have won, even if it was like fourth-person field. I think it's also, just so that we can get the ground rules out of the way, the turnout wasn't really that great this year. Um, there was there were 26.5% voter turnout, which is down, uh, I think, more than a percentage point from last year. Um, so when we're talking 1,700 people voting for Claire Fieldman, that's out of a population of 31,000 students. Well, speaking about voter turnout then, um, Rupan, since you've been kind of following USAC the longest, um, could you talk about how that um, it's trended over the past four elections you've witnessed? Well, voter turnout has always been low, but 2016 was a big highlight. We had voter turnout about 40%. But that was also because we had four referendum running, I think all of which were fee referenda, so it raised student fees. 2016 was 40%. Last year went down quite considerably, 27.5%. And this year has gone down again, 26.5%. So we've seen two years in a row of voter turnout going down. And, um, and it was kind of surprising because we, there was a referendum this year, not a fee referendum, but still a pretty important referendum. And yeah, we still saw voter turnout going down. So it's kind of, we see it keeps seeing a decline of voter turnout and we're not really sure exactly, you know, what we can do to improve that. 
With 39 candidates, I kind of expected there to be a larger turnout just because that brings more people within those people's social circle into the election. Were you guys also surprised that like the large field didn't bring in more votes? I'm going to say the other candidates, uh, I'm going to say they probably didn't have that big of a social circle that they would have like sizably increased the votes. You know, they got like, what, 200, 300 first reference votes. So that's not that much of an increase. So yeah, yeah, I can see how the voter turnout is just 26.5%. I mean, I think it's tough to point to one or two things as the reason for voter turnout being low. Personally, I, I, I tend to think that like the Joe Schmo voter on Bruin Walk, although why would you even vote on Bruin Walk? Like you'd probably be voting somewhere else. But besides that point, um, the Joe Schmo voter is like, oh, there are 39 people. Does my vote matter? Even though election board has this runoff process where technically you're, you're, Eight votes could persist for could make a, a sizable difference. Um, whoever you put as your second preference or your third preference, you know, the everyday voter may not think of those as important, but that may have been what got you know Kosiak Bully and Claire Fieldman to be the final two candidates in the presidential runoff. But I think it could have just been that people saw so many candidates and they went, "Oh, the voter split. I don't really know. Like my vote's not going to count." And even we didn't know that there was going to be a runoff process until like. We opened up my ACLA, but who's going to open up my ACLA on a Monday morning and go, yes, I can rank my preferences. Like That was me. Okay, well, that's that's one person at ACLA. So I, I get the feeling that maybe people are like, oh, votes don't matter. This is a USAC. Does USAC matter? And then they see these signs going, disband USAC. And they're like, oh, yay, great. And they go back to class. Like, I don't really think people were very invested in this election. We're going to come back to the topic of voter fatigue and like how election board interacted with both voters and candidates during the election. But first, I want to talk about um, two other big races, which was external vice president and general representative. Um, Abhishek, do you have more information about how the external vice president voting broke down? I think the EVP race was probably the most interesting snapshot of in the runoff and ranking preferences because Victoria had like 400 more first preference votes than Jamie Kennerk. Just to add some background, the four candidates for EVP were Jamie Kennerk, an independent candidate, Nicole Corona-Diaz, independent candidate. She was, she's the incumbent general representative on the council table. There was Victoria Sokovitz, who was Bruins United candidate. And then there was Carla Blessing Thomas from the leaders influencing tomorrow's slate. So yeah, Victoria Solkowitz had a lot more votes than Jamie Kennerk. But then once Nicole Corona Diaz was eliminated in the second round, a much more massive percentage of her votes went to Jamie Kennerk and like only like 200 of her 1,500 votes went to Victoria, which is pretty interesting. And I have to say it's like not surprising that people who'd back Nicole Corona Diaz would favor Jamie Kennock over Victoria Solkowitz from Bruins United. So, yeah. Why, why, why do you think so that people would have that sort of preference? Well, I guess if you're choosing someone as radical as Nicole Corona-Diaz, who's more progressive than, I guess, Bruins United, you would probably go for Jamie Kennock, who is also slightly radical in, in, in a relative sense. So, yeah, that doesn't make, that's not surprising, really. So I think this race is an example of how the instant runoff system can sort of lead to results that wouldn't have occurred if we just had a regular priority system. In presidential race, uh, if we had a regular priority system, we got off first reference votes, Claire Fieldman definitely would have won. But in this case, yeah, because we had this unique system of ranking, 
Jamie Kendrick won. So I think this is one of the few cases where you know the interim system has had an impact on the outcome to race. And then quickly going over the general representative race, which is somewhat similar. It was a British Columbia single transferable vote method, which I don't completely understand. Wait, wait, wait! British people are in this election now. British Columbia, the Canadian people are here. Wait, wait, why are Canadian people in USAC now? I mean, nothing against Canadian people, but why, why, is, why are Canadian things coming into USAC? International students need more representation, Keshav. How can you ask a question like that? I'm just so confused about why the election board bylaws include Canadian stuff, but whatever, it's all right. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure why this vote method is trusted, but it was kind of similar, but like there's a vote threshold, so basically if any person gets a certain reach goes past a certain number of votes then their vote percentage doesn't increase instead their votes get reallocated in a similar preference kind of way so here you had Aisha Halim really comfortably won and she's gen rep one then in the penultimate round you had Bella Martin with nearly 1,300 votes Naomi Kissel from BU as well with 1,233 votes, just 50 votes short of Bella Martin, and Eduardo Solis, who's an independent, with 1,361 votes. So pretty close there. So Naomi's votes ended up being reallocated to mostly Bella Martin, and she ended up being, Bella Martin ended up being general representative two, and Eduardo Solis was general rep three. So um, the reason why the general representative race, I think, is such a big one, besides the fact that there were eight candidates was because the day election results were announced, there was a sanction against the entire Bruins United slate after two members, including General Representative 2, Bella Martin, were investigated for coercing votes at Pi Kappa Phi. Do you guys think that most of the voting was done prior to that sanction? What's interesting about USAC elections, and I guess any kind of student government election in comparison to like national elections or state elections, is that voting happens across a week. Um, you have five days. Yeah, some of us wait until Friday to vote, but I think most people are either going to vote when their friends remind them to or when a candidate reminds them to or they see a bunch of people on like Bruin Walk coming after them like, oh, sure, I should just vote and then I can use the excuse, you know, I voted already, right? So do people vote on Mondays? Probably not. Do they vote on Fridays? I'm guessing not a whole lot either. So um, if you haven't voted on Friday and you're not really that invested in the system, you're probably not going to vote at all. So I think to that end, garnering, like chasing after votes on Thursday night Probably wouldn't. That's probably not what got Mel- Bella Martin over the top. Um, but there were some serious considerations about, you know, does this break the sanctity of votes if you have candidates who are breaking voter privacy rights and whatnot, um, which the election board did end up finding um, in one instance for Bella Martin and Victoria Sokovitz. So they sanctioned the entire Bruins United slate. Um, but then there were other claims that came, came in about it being more than just one student who was coerced. And that, that brought a whirlwind of controversy. People were upset about that. Some people were like, no, this was unsubstantiated. Um, election board didn't have enough evidence to substantiate those claims, but that came like an hour before election results were supposed to be announced. And there's a bunch of drama about election results were delayed by an hour, and then they're delayed, or say they're delayed by 30 minutes, then delayed another 30 minutes. Um, and then there were results, but then the election board was like questioning whether the results, they had to disqualify people, but then they didn't disqualify people. So yeah, it was just a total mess. And this, this, um, this last sanction, I guess, like we had a whole four days of just nothing happening. I mean, a couple of minor sanctions that I think Annie and Rupon can talk about. But then the last day we had this like, I don't want to say bombshell sanction, but it was certainly like an eggshell sanction. Like there, there were things happening and people were, were upset about this. And then the election board was investigating and they're like, we might have to disqualify people. And then they didn't disqualify people. So people were upset again. And yeah, it was just party politics and uh, student politics, just uh, an embodiment of it in just one day. 
So I just want to follow up to that by asking if, even if this was like several students, but it wasn't the number that put Bella Martin into the general representative two position, why should we as like students care about voter coercion? Could you maybe elaborate on what exactly differentiates voter coercion from simply just going to your friends and telling them to vote for you and then why we as a student body should care? So I think this harkens back to something that happened in 2016, which, albeit it was anecdotal, but there were people recording instances of then external vice president candidate, Bruins United external vice president candidate Rafi Sands, you know, taking people's phones and voting, basically voting for them and handing back phones. And, you know, people are complaining that, you know, this is violation of voter rights. You should be able to have agency over your vote. You shouldn't be just handing over your vote to somebody else. As a disclaimer, Rafi Sands is a former reporter here at the Bruin. Yeah, I think we have to include that each time we say it. But yeah, he um, he ended up going on to win the actual, actual vice president race. And it was a very, very close race. So that's why people were quite contested. I think people were like, oh, no, Rafi should be you know either sanctioned or I don't know if they said disqualified. But there certainly were questions about like should election board punish him for the alleged instances of him grabbing uh, taking people's phones and voting for them. So I think this, what Bella Martin and Victoria Sokovitz were found to have done um, by the election board to have, when they say coerce a student, I think it's in reference, it, it's kind of similar to the idea of that either they, you know, they tell the student, oh, just give me your phone and I'll vote for you. Or, um, again, this is just my supposition, but um, either they tell the student, you'll give me your phone and I'll vote for you, or they say, oh, vote for us otherwise, and we'll leave the otherwise as an open-ended thing. And I I don't presume that there were, like, any physical threats in the process. I don't think there was any malice in the process, but certainly there was an intrusion of privacy that the election board found and that people were complaining about, which, to some extent, does defeat the purpose of a secret ballot vote because, you know, if we had a polling booth system where everything was physical, we wouldn't have people coercing votes. But this is because things are online, things you can do on your phone, that, that breaks away that, you know, the privacy that you would get. So this is basically, like, equivalent to... I guess someone going into a polling booth when another person is voting and then telling them, directing them how to vote. And that's just not right. And I I find it particularly disappointing because Bruins United candidate, looking at the vote totals, Bruins United candidate was going to win regardless of that thing. You know, they didn't really even have to go and do that. And I guess, you know, just talking about sanctions in general, like it was interesting that in this year's election, we didn't really see much until Friday. And that's kind of disappointing because like, you kind of want the campaign drama to like go out through, throughout the week so you don't overload the Daily Bruin editors. Not that people plan their <laughs> sanctions to to work with our work schedules, but it you know if you wait until Friday, that means you're getting really desperate. And you know there were some pretty interesting sanctions. Um, do you want to talk a bit about what kind of sanctions there were, Annie? So considering that there was like 39 candidates running, um, we expected a lot of sanctions, but there were pretty much um, very small petty things. Uh, we had around 66 filed um, complaint ca- cases, but only around. 35 issued sanctions and a lot of them just included um, social media regulation violations or um, candidates that filed in their endorse their expend expenditure forms late but other than that um, we didn't have big ones until friday morning which was the two candidate bu candidates who coerced students to vote for them I just want to look a little bit back throughout the week then, because, yeah, in the past, the dramas happened earlier and some would say that influenced voters. But we had a pretty tame campaigning process. Do you guys have any idea of like just looking at past elections, whether campaigning was like less voracious this year and maybe why? 
I would say definitely it was less voracious this year because of the sanctions. Um, for the people especially, got a lot of sanctions. It wasn't anything, I would say, major. It was a lot of little sanctions piling up, and they also forgot to turn in their forms on time. So I think first two days, there were hardly any for the people campaigning because they were just sanctioned. And so even like when walking on Broomwalk, I saw Broom's United standing in the Broom Plaza area, in the Broom Bear. I saw Aisha Halim's people near Broomwalk, more near, more near Kirkhoff. But other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of um, campaigning this year compared to previous years. I would say two years ago when they had all those referendum, including social justice referendum running, that was a lot of campaigning. A lot of the campus was full of people in t-shirts and flyers. But I'd say past two years, especially this year, campaigning has toned down quite a bit. I'd like to add that um, a lot of the candidates weren't targeting each other. I mean, um, when we were interviewing um, independent candidates that won, they said the campaigning process was definitely um, stressful, but they also got a lot of support from other candidates that were running. So they were running against each other, but they were also supporting one another. So I guess that helped. I guess what's also interesting is to point out that like some people just stopped campaigning altogether this week. So Divya Sharma, who managed the For the People slate, um, actually got to speak to him Thursday afternoon, evening time. And I was like, yeah, you know, we just gave up campaigning after day three because we got so many sanctions. And, you know, Nadira Stevens, the For the People candidate for Academic Affairs Commissioner, um, ended up winning. And um, Serena, who was unopposed for um, Cultural Affairs Commissioner, ended up winning too, but she was expected to win anyways, if she, as long as she got one vote. Um, so, you know, was campaigning even necessary this week is what I wonder. Like, um, I know I did see Bruins United near Bruin Plaza. It was, it was, sort of tame like they weren't like jumping up closer and closer to Polly pavilion they were sort of localized to the brune bear um we saw aisha's people near kirkhoff we saw robert blake watson sort of sit in the on the brune walk tables i think i saw jay manzano here and there um again i sort of like woke up late this entire week so i didn't really like see all the crazy campaigning before noon but i feel like why would you do crazy campaigning before noon because everybody's asleep on brune walk as someone who did wake up early this week i didn't see much campaigning other than brune's united in the early morning hours, really. And I guess what's interesting then is to look at the election results. So Bruins United ran nine candidates, and they won three seats. Um, and there were basically the other, all the other candidates were, there were two for the people candidates who won, and all the remaining candidates were independent candidates. So was campaigning even necessary this week? I guess we can ask that question. I think it's definitely necessary for like the really close races. I want to say EVP, since that was decided by 200 votes, definitely campaigning came into effect there. And I saw Jamie Kennedy campaigning, saw Victoria Solkowitz campaigning. But I guess what was remarkable about this this year was that campaigning was just not as alive and energetic as it was in years past. As Annie observed too, though, it also wasn't as vitriolic. Mm. So I wonder if maybe... <laughs> Just without some of that controversy earlier in the week, whether that prevented some of the character-based campaigning um, from happening. So last year, you know, we saw the Danny Siegel leak, which showed a picture of him making a gang sign. And that sort of dominated the rest of the election. Bruins and I lost a lot of seats as a result. And there was a sort of similar attempt this year, right, Rupan? Right. So there was a Facebook post by uh, Robert Gardner, who I think supports several independent candidates and maybe even four people candidates, alleging that uh, current USAC President Arya Mukhtarzadeh, who's a Bruins United member, uh, received support from Turning Point USA, which is a, a national conservative group 
that uh, there's been some in- indication that in other college- colleges' elections, they've gotten involved and try and support candidates and try to support conservative candidates in other college campuses. So that's sort of a claim that was made about Ariel. Ariel on the next day sort of disputed that claim, saying that her campaign funding and support was from her own family and she didn't really gain a turning point. And it's important to note that actually she has no tangible evidence that she did receive any support of turning point. This was something that, that I think some of the candidates tried to bring up turning point, but it sort of fizzled out. There wasn't really any evidence to back it. So there was no similar Danny Siegel situation uh, this year. So that really speaks to how the campaigning process went um, and the fact that there weren't really any significant sanctions before yesterday um, with the voter coercion. So returning back to the topic of sanctions and also the topic of election board at large, I just wanted to talk about whether this election is really over. Um, Earlier when Keshav was describing it, it sounded like a mess. And it also doesn't sound like there's complete finality to the results we got last night. Um, Do you guys have any thoughts about whether election board is doing anything right now after that weird Facebook post asking for evidence against candidates pretty much? So we're not sure. We know as of now the sanctions that have been sort of filed, uh, the complaints that have been filed by the election board, as far as the election board is concerned, those are final. The investigations are closed on all those sanctions. Even for the ones where the election board said that you didn't have enough evidence, those are done. It's possible that if they get new kind of information, new complaints, that there could be potential disqualifications. Always that's what the Facebook post made it seem like. But I think personally, I don't think there's going to be any major changes. Maybe there's some really big information that comes to light, potentially. But it's just hard to sort of disqualify someone after a fact. It's a big logistical nightmare. If someone is disqualified, they would have to do, I believe I'm not wrong, if I remember the election correctly, they would have to do another election at some point. So I, I'm not so sure that there's going to be any information, but we'll just have to wait and see. I'd say that I think someone, at least some people are probably going to file more complaints with the election board. And I don't know, you might even see someone file a petition to judicial board that election board hasn't done its duty yet. There's a chance of that as well. And regarding the logistics, I think like if you have to disqualify someone, if they like violated the sanctity of the voting process, then and they should be disqualified, they should be disqualified anyway, regardless of the logistics, you know? I think also just as a point of transparency, um, Rupan Liberty, myself and Abhishek are all four members on the Daily Brune editorial board. And if you didn't read, which why am I even saying that? You probably didn't read anyways. But there's um, the Daily Brune editorial board came out in the editorial last night calling on basically condemning the uh, election board for not carrying out its due diligence and, you know, basically drawing into question the 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 sanctity of the election process themselves. To be clear, though, we weren't asking them to disqualify anyone. We were just saying that um, the election board has plunged the student body into a lot of uncertainty, the way it's framed the results with this question for more evidence from the student body really makes us think, as people observing the election, that they are trying to prolong this process rather than deliver candidates as confidently as they might have ha- might have at face value last night. So it's just really confusing. I think like maybe it will just fizzle out if no one submits any petitions or even if they do and there's not strong enough evidence. Right. I think I think what we just need is just closure. Like USAC election week should end at week five. Like I don't want to walk into midterms and then like keep thinking about USAC. Like I, those four letters can like should just leave my mind for a time. 
midterms are permanent, I'd like to remind you, they happen from week two to week eight. Yeah, well, my professors decided to prolong them until week seven, and I haven't had a single midterm, luckily, but like, that's besides the point. I just don't want USAC when I walk into a midterm now. I just, I just need closure in my life. Like, <laughs> fizzling out elections is a very, a very underwhelming way to end an otherwise underwhelming week. It's also not the way the process is supposed to work. We should have a clear-cut council for next year already. And there, it's just not 100%, I think, um, for a lot of people. Because there you know, were these, were these last-minute sanctions and then the invitation for more, pretty much. And then, you know, the election of people directly invoked in these investigations. But we do have to find some closure for this podcast. So the last thing we're going to talk about is the future of Slates and whether this is a death knell for them in general. Over the last few years, we've seen a lot of like one-off slates. Um, we mentioned Waves of Change earlier. Bruins United is really the only slate with any sort of history that's currently active. Um, and like, you know, the institutional, um, or established resources. Do you guys have any thoughts about like whether Bruins United will forge on after the like voter coercion, um, controversy and whether the states established this year will maybe continue? I mean, we have to keep in mind that election sanctions are reported by students, not the election board. So, and also very few people know about the election board sanction process. So the people who are actually filing these sanctions are those who know about the campaigning process and are involved in it. So really the people who are have a big beef about voter coercion are likely the people who are as part of the opposition campaigns. So I don't think Bruins United is going to go away, but I think it's important to, to however, look at the dwindling number of council seats at Bruins United now holds. So in the past, it held a majority council table. And last year, it held three council positions. And now it's holding two council positions. Is it going to fizzle away next year or the year afterwards? Like, I don't think 2021 is going to be the death of Bruins United. I do, however, think that once they lose an executive position like president, um, which they've held for four straight years, the moment they lose that position, it's over for the the, the slate. But that's my opinion. My verdict is they're kicking and alive, but in a very diminished state. Like, yeah, they, they weren't even chanting this year. I was just so sad. Like, they just held hands and, like, walked and, like, with solemn faces. And I was like, where are the chants? Where's the energy? Where's the Bruins United? Like, I don't know. I just saw Bruins. No United. This is the second year that um, they haven't been chanting as they converge on Meyerhoff Park. Um, and I don't know. Maybe the whole chanting thing is just outdated. Mm, maybe it is. Um, do you guys have any thoughts about some of these smaller slates or the new ones? Will candidates operating clearly make a return, you think? Definitely not. I think Andrew Soko had, he, he had his fun with the election. He's probably just going to go back to his regular life afterwards. For the people, um, you know, I'm not so sure if that will continue either. Potentially it will. But considering that, you know, they had three candidates, you know, and uh, two out of three won, and one of them was uncontested, I'm not so sure either that that slate will continue. I'm sure some other incarnation of that slate may continue. But historically, you know, those kinds of progressive slates, like let's act, ways of change for the people, they tend to sort of pop up and then go away. And I think that trend is going to continue. Well, I think we've blabbed on for long enough. And like, while this election isn't going to apparently end, like, now or ever until election board does something we got to end this podcast so we will catch you all next week in our next no offense podcast which will not mention the words USAC in it you don't know that yet right i don't know that yet <laughs>